Can you believe this guy, Dr. Fauci, while we've been suffering, while we've been worried, while people have been dying, he has been writing a book. Son of a gun, he's been writing a book. Expect the unexpected, 10 lessons on truth, service, and the way forward. He doesn't know about any of those things, especially the truth part. Look, I don't think he's a very good doctor. Maybe he is in his circles, but we've all been confused by him, right? It was a year and a half ago, right here, in this room, I talked to him from wherever he was outside of Washington, D.C., and he said, coronavirus, don't worry about it. So, uh, manageable numbers. Um, bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States. And this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. All right, not a major threat, not something we should be worried about. And what was the CDC doing back then? They were screening people at the airports who are coming directly from Wuhan, China, and not in all the airports, just a handful here in America. That's it. What else did he say? Uh, in the early stages of coronavirus, now that everybody's got to wear a mask, he said, no mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. Uh, so what is it? I remember that interview so well. That's why I basically didn't wear a mask for most of this thing, unless I really, really had to. And that's when somebody was threatening me or giving me a hard time. He changed his tune, of course, on the mask thing. Please wear a mask. So he's been all over the place. I'll never forget when he was in the baseball game where he threw that terrible pitch and <laughs> he's not even doing it himself. All right, so he's got the book, which seems, it's such an insult to me, quite frankly, and I think to all of this. Uh, Cuomo wrote that silly book, and now him. And what's worse, a movie is coming out as well. And what an ego on this guy, huh? Uh, and meet the man. Meet the man. He's been on every TV show known to man, and we're going to meet him all over again. This guy obviously has a problem with the ego, and yeah, a problem with the truth, in my opinion. We'll see. I would like to know how much money he's getting paid for that book, wouldn't you? And how dare he write it during a pandemic? All right, we've got some other things to talk about. Three-day weekend. Did you enjoy it? Woohoo! Kamala sure did, our vice president. Before I go into that, look, we're going to talk about two things that are not making much news because they're embarrassing to the Biden administration. And then we'll talk about two things that are not making news because they're potentially criminal and they involve Joe Biden. All right, first, Kamala. Did you see this tweet? It was totally ridiculous. This is Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy the long weekend. And there she is, Kamala. She just thinks she looks fabulous. I received a more appropriate 
message from the guy at the rental car place, okay, about Memorial Day. And she is the Vice President of the United States. Uh, this, by the way, was probably the highlight for her because uh, she took a stab at some comedy at the Naval Academy graduation. And just ask any Marine today, would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel? And I am positive she will tell you a solar panel, and so would he. <laughs> <laughs> you go, girl. Yeah, I get it. Right. Uh, uh, we all assume Marines are men. Is that what you're saying? I was a Marine. By the way, we've had female Marines for about a century. So it's no big deal, Madam Vice President. She is a very silly person. Quite frankly, her behavior, if you look at her career, it kind of makes sense. Who made her? Willie Brown, who was at that point a married mayor of San Francisco. He was also the speaker of the California State Assembly, and he had a relationship with single Kamala Harris. He was responsible for some of her key appointments. He helped make her political career. What does she bring to the table besides ego? Her campaign kept putting these things out uh, when she was running for vice president, getting on and off of corporate jets. It made her, I guess, look and feel so important. I still don't understand, though, what she brought to the table. You know, she ran for president and got absolutely nowhere. She had to drop out before Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang. She got no support whatsoever. And the assessments of her campaign, even from her liberal friends in the fake news, Devastating. Take a look at some of these quotes that we found in the New York Times, okay? This is my third presidential campaign, and I have never seen an organization treat its staff so poorly, according to a former campaign aide. There was also this, and this is true basically for anybody if you're running. You can't run the country if you can't run your campaign. Message, she was terrible at running her campaign. Then, of course, uh, she stabbed Joe Biden in the front I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Ooh, that was a knockout punch during the debate in the primary. Dr. Jill Biden was watching very closely and she didn't like this one bit. We have a quote from a new book. With what he cares about, what he fights for, what he's committed to, you get up there and call him a racist without basis, go F yourself in the new book by Edward Isaac Dovier. <laughs> That's pretty devastating. So why is Kamala Harris there? I have a theory, and I think I'm right. We all know that Barack Obama is calling the shots in the Biden administration. Well, guess what? He and Kamala, the chemistry, you could feel it. You could sense it. All the way back when she was just a state attorney general, 
These two like each other a lot. All right. What's the other embarrassing story of the weekend for the Biden administration that's getting very little attention, but it's pretty wild. So Joe's going to give a big speech, all right, related to Memorial Day. And you see those cute little kids there? Uh, Joe certainly notices them, especially, and I'm sorry, the little girl with the barrettes in her hair. I'm especially honored to share the stage with Brittany and Jordan and Nathan and Margaret Catherine. I, uh, I love those barrettes in her hair, man. I tell you what. And look at her. She looks like she's 19 years old sitting there with her, like a little lady in her legs caught. That's, uh, you should not be commenting on a little girl's legs, comparing them to a 19-year-old, right? We all know that. Joe does not know that. We've seen Joe touch young girls, uh, middle-aged women, old women. He's just, uh, it's kind of sad. It's kind of weird. All right, but here's where it gets uh, much thornier, but the media does not care, or they pretend not to care. New revelations from that laptop. It's there, the New York Post. They've done some very important reporting on this. Take a look at this photograph. Uh, Joe and Hunter and a bunch of people. That's from that famous trip to China. But take a look at this one, if you would, from April 16th of 2015. Joe is vice president, and uh, he's hanging out at Cafe Milano with uh, a couple of ex-officials from Kazakhstan that Hunter may have wanted to do business with. Hunter, who knows what he actually did for a living, but he was running all over the world and getting paid for it. And here they are hanging out with Kazakhstan ex-officials. Do you think business came up at that meeting? Safe to say, right? But Joe Biden always would deny it, wouldn't he? Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business And so how do you know? Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. Joe gets angry when you ask him about that. When you ask him, hey, did you ever talk to your son about this stuff? He gets angry and very, very defensive. Tells me the reporters are onto something. How is your role as vice president in, uh, in charge of policy in Ukraine and your son's job in Ukraine? How is that not a conflict of interest? It's not a conflict of interest. There's been no indication of any conflict of interest from but Ukraine even, or anywhere else. Period. I'm not going to. I'm not going to respond to that. Okay. Well, here's a little in indication of a conflict of interest potentially. A thank you note to Hunter from what looks like a Burisma official. Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father. Also this, very interesting. Once Joe Biden left the vice presidency, what did they do? They cut Hunter's pay basically in half. Now, this is dynamite stuff. But the media, they just don't care. They go on with their regularly scheduled programming. Those questions I showed you. Some of them are like two years old. Joe Biden does not get pressed on this. I guess it would take them off message. What do they want to talk about? The 9-11 style commission into January 6th. If Friday's Senate vote on an independent commission to investigate January 6th was a stress test for our democracy, well, then sadly, our democracy failed and failed big time. You would think that they would want as much information as possible from an independent commission that would give a definitive accounting for one of the most consequential domestic attacks in this country's history. 
but apparently not. The reason that they blocked that, as Terry was mentioning, is because they're worried about 2022. They're worried about their primaries being primaried by people that Trump is going to support and the fact that they feel that they have to pledge loyalty to Trump. <laughs> this is what they tell themselves all the time. And you see that one guy? Yes, 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 yes. They all just nod and agree with each other all the time. So if you print out the legislation for this commission, you can see it's uh, not independent. It wouldn't be unbiased. Uh, there are all kinds of problems. The first problem is they label everybody there a domestic terrorist. And not everybody there was a domestic terrorist. I actually would like an investigation, but not like this, because we have lots of things we want answered. Remember this moment? I'll never forget it. And maybe you haven't seen it because the fake news, they buried it. But a Trump supporter is desperately asking the police to intercede, to do something. It's true. They just stood there in pretty intimidating uniforms, by the way. Very strange. But this is even stranger and far more tragic. What happened to Ashley Babbitt? I want that answered. Who shot her? Why? Why wasn't there a warning? She was unarmed. There's no police department in the country that would justify that kind of shooting. Ashley Babbitt should not have died that way. When we come back, we'll be joined by her husband, the widower, Aaron Babbitt. Great guy. Stay with us. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. I can say is that the fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, it. Do <laughs> not at all ah and right now the fake news is totally obsessed with Tulsa Oklahoma and what happened there 100 years ago no one's talked about it in 100 years and maybe that's a mistake but I know Joe Biden in his entire political career never talked about Tulsa but now he's pandering and boy oh boy is he good at that Tulsa massacre, uh, 1921, was a horrible event. But now he's exploiting it for political gain. Uh, one of his solutions, by the way, uh, throw around a lot of money to the black community as if that's going to solve anything, as if that's uh, something that has not been tried before. Anyway, here's Joe from today. There were 37 members of the House of Representatives who were open members of the Klan. There were five, if I'm not mistaken, could have been seven, I think it was five, members of the United States Senate, open members of the Klan. Multiple governors were open members of the Klan. Most people didn't realize that a century ago, the Klan was founded just six years before the horrific destruction here in Tulsa. Uh, Joe was friends with uh, some of those people. Uh, Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia noted Klansmen at one point. But whenever Joe talks about race and goes off script, he gets himself in trouble. That, the data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. 
but they don't have lawyers. They don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation be better off? Broad strokes there, huh? They don't have access to lawyers and accountants. And by the way, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but there are plenty of black lawyers and accountants. You know what he could commemorate? What probably deserves some commemoration and discussion? What happened a year ago in Minneapolis when they set that police station on fire and it was A-OK. This was venting. This was appropriate. This was love. This was a crime. And Joe Biden, not only did he look the other way, he kind of encouraged it when you think about it. This public stance encouraged this kind of stuff. You know, we still have to deal with this. Anti-Asian hate, it looks like, right here in New York City. We've been seeing an uptick in that all over the place. Interesting thing, though, I don't hear Joe Biden or Kamala Harris talking about it much. Because in these instances, it happens to be black people who are doing the assaulting. Joe and Kamala don't like talking about it unless white people are involved in their minds, in their twisted minds. Those moments can be exploited, like what happened in Atlanta, even though law enforcement, the FBI, said it wasn't racially motivated. Remember, the big bad boogeyman in America right now is this. The threat of white supremacy looms large. The dangers of white supremacy. Threat of white supremacy. The threat of white supremacy. What a great danger white supremacy uh, holds. So I hate white supremacy. I saw it in the movie once. It's not a thing. It's not prevalent. Even though they're talking it up, hoping, wishing that it were more of a thing, it's just not a thing. Okay? Anyway, got to tell you about something else. Don't ask me why, but I read a good chunk of Barack Obama's memoir, A Promised Land, his fifth book or so about himself. And it's actually pretty wild. I knew he was a narcissist, but I didn't know he was really a narcissist. I mean, big time. Take a look at this. It's the big moment before he's about to take the oath of office. He's in the Capitol. He's about to walk out on the steps. Here's the picture and look at the caption. Just before walking out to the take the oath of office, I summoned a prayer. Now he's looking at himself in the mirror. Isn't that something? Is that the way any per of any faith prays? I don't think so, but then again, that ego is something. Anyway, just a tidbit. I'm going to do a big book report on this thing next week. I'm finding all the good parts that the fake news have omitted. So in the White House right now, there's a lot of excitement about their new deputy press secretary. Uh, her name is Corrine Jean-Pierre, and she gave a briefing the other day filling in for Jen Circleback Saki. Lastly, a bit of a personal question. Um, your presence here today is making history. Uh, you are the first black woman to stand behind that podium, speaking on behalf of the president in 30 years. Just wondering if you could share your reflections with us. Well, uh, thank you for the question. Um, you know, it's, it's a real honor to be standing, uh, to just be standing here today. It, it doesn't, um, it, you know, it, it, the, I appreciate the historic nature. I really do. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, 
you know, being behind, being behind this podium, uh, being in this room, uh, being in this building is not about one person. It's about, you know, what we do on behalf of the American people. All right. Well, look, she wasn't the first woman of color to do that. George H.W. Bush actually had a woman of color brief for him in the briefing room. Judy Smith, great person, I'm told. Also, Donald Trump had a guy named Raj Shah. I don't think we ever had a deputy press secretary like him. So I don't know how historic this is, but uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is a bit of a piece of work. I noticed her a couple of years ago when she was promoting her book, and she did it in a pretty unique way. When I walk around this place, it still gives me chills. It feels like just yesterday when it was packed with more than a million Americans hopeful about our future. The doors to the halls of power were beginning to open up. People like me walked through and for the first time felt like we belonged. The man who is now sitting in the building I used to work in hates everything that I am. A black gay immigrant woman Wow, that's quite a statement. Donald Trump hates everything that I am, a black gay immigrant woman. That's a lot to say about somebody you've never met. I've met him, and I know those things are not true. Donald Trump was in New York for a long time, hung out, actually was friends with a lot of people, including some gay immigrant women like Martina Navratilova. Take a look at her. Also, a very prominent late gossip columnist, Liz Smith, uh, happened to be a lesbian. Uh, she was a legend in New York. Naomi Campbell, I don't know about her sexuality, but uh, they were very close. Uh, she happened to be a woman of color, an immigrant uh, from the UK, I believe. You see, Donald Trump was hanging with these people, by the way, way before he went into politics. And that's what makes him so different from somebody like Joe, who just hangs out with people when he needs them. All right. Now this. Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. Black lives do matter, though, especially the life of 16-year-old Cassius Khan Clay. He was shot and killed uh, in Washington, D.C. this past Friday at around noon. There was a car accident. A lot is not known, but police responded. There was a report of gunshots, and they found Cassius at the scene dead. His mother said he was such a good kid, such a blessing, and a great student. She is a single mother of six. Cassius was the second oldest of the children. He was in the 11th grade and considered a bit of a tech whiz and had dreams of starting a business with his older sister. The family is ordering accountability from community leaders to stop gun violence. All this Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. I want Black Lives to really matter. Like, our community have to be held accountable as a whole. We have to do more for these kids. We can't just keep letting this go, go on. This is what we're hearing all the time from the real black community. Not the activists, not the liberals on TV, but from the real community, the people, the folks. No arrests have been made. The, a GoFundMe page, though, has been set up. We want to put that up on the screen, please. Cassius Khan Coming Home Memorial Fund. Whatever you can do, I'm sure the family would appreciate it. And look at that, already exceeded their goal. Dead at the age of 16, Cassius Cone Clay. We'll be right back. This is a name we will not forget. 
The federal government seems to want to look the other way. We will not. That is Ashley Babbitt, the 35-year-old Trump supporter, military veteran who was shot and killed on Capitol Hill on January 6th. You saw, I saw, we all saw that she was unarmed. Today we are joined by the man she was married to, Aaron Babbitt. Mr. Babbitt, welcome back to Newsmax. Again, we, you know how we feel about uh, your late wife, but it's good to see you again. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Greg. Uh, appreciate you having me back. Um, but it has been 146 days since anybody's told me who killed my wife. And uh, every day that goes on, it just gets worse. It is, to me, inconceivable that the name of the officer has not been released. We've all seen nationwide anything goes wrong. We find out the name of the cop, you know, by dinner time. And now it's been all this time. A couple of things to go through. Number one, are you, I, I, I've heard from your attorney that there's a plan to sue. You have not sued at this point, but one is still, you're pulling it together and one you expect to file, correct? Yeah, so, I mean, that's obviously Terry's, um, Terry's line on all of this, but from my understanding, there's checks and blocks that have to be you know, taken care of prior to filing any formal civil action. All right. Now, you saw the uh, Congress had trouble passing the 9-11 style January 6th commission. Um, it's not probably it's probably not going to happen. There's a lot of maneuvering going on. I have my own misgivings about this because I read the legislation and I don't like it. I don't like the way it's configured. What are your thoughts um, about the commission? I mean, they're going to say it's bipartisan, but we know it's not. It's all their, you know, friends across the aisle. But um, I didn't see anything in there that mentioned anything about investigating what happened to Ashley. That's the I don't thing. Know if you read it. Uh, I have read it, and it seems to be designed in a way to not ask those questions. And by the way, it labels everybody who was there a domestic terrorist. So that's what yeah. I find objectionable. And we've talked to the staff of uh, several key members in the House, and they say there's no way they're going to look into Ashley Babbitt. Uh, and I just can't get my hands around why not. Because they they know that they're wrong in this. That's the that, the longer this goes on, the longer this cover-up goes on, it makes them look horrible and worse. But it's past the point to where they can't come out and say anything now at this point because it's been that long. It's like you hold a lie for that long. Now they just got to run with it. They got to run with that lie. By the way, um, I think it's on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican. I am not sensing yeah. a lot of... I, I, no one really on the Republican side. There are some exceptions, uh, Congressman Gosar, people like that, but there's yep. no momentum on the Republican side, very little. No, and uh, I, will, I will have to say that uh, Congressman Gosar has reached out to our family and he spoke with my mother-in-law, so I want to personally tell him thank you for that. Um, I have a hard time listening to these people sometimes stand up there and say, who killed Ashley Babbitt? Because... They know. They know. And it's like having a secret. You know the secret. You don't like the secret. So you're going to do everything you can to make the people across the aisle end up having to talk about it. So I do appreciate them from that aspect. But I cannot wrap my brain around the fact that these people sit in this chamber 
every single day with this plainclothes police officer that they don't know who it is. They haven't seen him at work in 146 days. By the way, I have seen more than one name associated with this. There are, it's not definitive. I personally do not know. I have seen names on the internet. I don't know what the truth is. Do you know? Have you been told? And you're, do, do, uh, do, no. I have not been told by any government official in any official capacity who it was. And honestly, Greg, that's more, that's even more reckless on their part because it's leading to all this speculation. They need to come out and say who it was. So people stop saying who they think it is, and it might not even be this poor person, you know? So look, um, I like President Trump. I'm sure you do as well. But I have heard from some of the folks that are still locked up on Capitol Hill that, you know, hey, uh, they could use a little bit of support. They could uh, use a shout out at least. They could use a, maybe a phone call. Um, what are your thoughts on that, including you, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard uh, from anybody in that, on that side in that camp. Um, I'm sure there's a boatload of politics involved with that, so I'm not going to hold it against them. Hey, you know, look, I don't know any much about your late wife. Great picture. I know about uh, her military service. Could you tell us just a little bit about what she was like, please? Oh, she was, I mean, she'd take over every room she went into. I mean, she would talk to everybody and anybody. Um, you know, the videos that are of that day, she's talking to the police. Um, I, I think it gets left out a lot, the fact that my wife was a police officer for 14 years, and she's well-versed in um, those tactics. And uh, when the police moved away from that door, that was telling her that she, it was okay for her to go in. And whoever was on the other side was obviously operating off a different playbook. A lot of expenses are involved when something, well, this has not happened really to anybody that I know or can imagine, but a lot of expenses are there. So um, yeah. there is a GoFundMe page and uh, Ashley Babbitt Official Memorial. We're proud to, I'm proud to support it. And Aaron, uh, please come back anytime. Keep us informed. We're pulling for you. We're praying for you. Seriously. I appreciate you, Greg. Thank you very much. And the at for Ashley Twitter, you got us a lot of followers on that from the last time we were on. So if we could uh, just mention that again. Absolutely, sir. At for Ashley, F-O-R-A-S-H-L-I. Thank you, Aaron. Yes, sir. We'll see you again. Thank you, Greg. You bet. Take care. Um, Grant Stinchfield is standing by. Hello, Grant. Uh, it's been a while. How about that? Whew. Uh, Great interview, Greg. Um, I'm going to go follow at 4Ashley. I mean, this poor guy. I tell you, I promise you, Capitol Police know exactly who the guy was that shot Ashley Babbitt. There's no doubt in my mind. But uh, anyway, tonight on our show, Greg, you know, the price of everything is going up from gas to groceries to lumber, you name it. Get ready. Brace yourselves. The price is going to go up even more. Joe Biden made a move today that is going to send the prices of everything skyrocketing. I'll reveal that move on the program tonight. How's that for a tease, Greg? Yeah. Powerful. And uh, this guy is a piece of work, isn't he? He's too much. He is too much. He uh, really is. All right. Uh, sounds great. Grant, we'll be watching and we'll be right back.
Tulsa, Oklahoma, 100 years ago, there was a horrible, horrible massacre there. A lot of prominent, wealthy, uh, and middle-class black people were killed uh, by a lot of angry white people. It was an awful, horrible event. It was largely forgotten by history, or a big chunk of it. But lately, Joe Biden can't stop talking about it. And some of us suspect that he is uh, trying to exploit it all these years later. He never mentioned it during his long political career, but now he's patting himself on the back a lot, too. He went there today along with uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, and Joe seems to be taking credit for his uh, big step. The events we speak of today took place 100 years ago, and yet I'm the first president in 100 years ever to come to Tulsa. And this I say that not as a compliment about me, but to think about it. A hundred years and the first president. Dad, Joe, I think you were, uh, I think you're pretty proud of yourself, but whatever. Uh, 300 black people died there. Uh, 10,000 were left homeless. But again, we did not hear about this. Um, wasn't talked about. Joe Biden went there to announce some new initiatives. And uh, he also put his foot in his mouth a couple of times. I'd like to bring in Harrison Foyd, formerly with the Trump 2020 campaign. Um, hey, Harrison, welcome back. How are you? Great. How are you? Thanks so much for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Hey, you I'm fired up right now. I'm, Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click off safe, man. I'm, I'm going to click off safe. Joe, Joe Biden is not the first president in 100 years. As I recall, just last year, the Trump campaign, we went to Tulsa, and uh, the left had a huge fit about it because we were going around the same time. The hypocrisy is just astounding. I, I I can't believe this guy. Oh, wow, that's right. The Juneteenth controversy. Now, like, look, you know I like Trump, but he did not go there expressly for Tulsa, for the Tulsa massacre. He went there for a rally. It was like one of the first COVID rallies we had. And uh, But I remember he got a phone call, didn't he, from Dr. Ben Carson, who said, hey, you should move this thing a day or so so it doesn't coincide with the Juneteenth anniversary. You're right. He's, he didn't get credit for that, did he? He never got credit for anything that uh, he, he did that was great, uh, Greg. And uh, as the former executive director of Black Voices for Trump, it was something that we talked about and discussed. Um, but because, you know, the left, everything that was going on in the country at the time, the volatility, we didn't want to um, make things uh, uh, worse. But President Trump was in the box center. Uh, I was there in Tulsa and watched him. He spoke in Tulsa. He mentioned in the rally, he spoke about the massacre. So once again, you got Joe Biden putting his foot where it doesn't, uh, putting his foot in his mouth where it doesn't belong. Wow. All right. So we talked about it. And, uh, Amazing. Listen, you broke up there. We're going to try to work on the uh, connection. want to bring in Bruce Lavelle, longtime President Trump advisor, senior RNC media surrogate. Bruce, uh, welcome back. You know, Joe Biden came up with some initiatives today. Uh, they're going to, let's see, the goal is to increase federal contracts to minority-owned business is by 50%, $100 billion over the next five years. They want to adjust some of the uh, federal housing rules. What do you think of the uh, the substance of what Joe talked about today? Well, thanks for having me, Greg. Well, once again, here we go. We have a pander in chief, a bureaucrat for 47 years has never handled a ba balance sheet, or, uh, let alone understand a profit and loss statement, let alone understand what the free market does and how the market takes care of itself. You know, being a 27-year business owner here in Atlanta, 
you know, that's that's my wheelhouse, Greg. And, I, and here we go once again, um, pandering Joe. He's out here trying to go out here and, 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 and play to the base and, and make all these promises when he doesn't really understand the best antidote for lifting any business, especially minority business and creating job growth as well as generational wealth, Greg. Yes, generational wealth. Guys like me, less taxes, less government, government moving out of the way, letting the free markets take care of itself. Let, let, the, let the process take its course. Let the success from the prior three years keep maintaining. Listen, Greg, Black business owner here, newsflash, you're talking to, 27 years, very successful. I have a lot of friends in the last three years and other friends that opened up businesses that were minority-owned businesses, the fastest I've ever seen. Greg, we're 30-plus million of us across the country. We we make up 62% of the GDP. So for him to come out here and say, we're going to, well, we're going to have this amount of people and this amount of people, if you just sit back and cut the taxes and let the free market take care of itself— then a lot of the business will rise up. We know how to hire and fire and vet each other. We don't need government to mandate a, a special type of, of regulatory rule that says we got to have X amount of this and X amount of this. That's not hmm. fair. We, we, we've evolved. We're 2021, Greg. Yeah. So I don't know where I don't. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Like I said, 47 years, you never understood a balance sheet. So it doesn't surprise me. Gentlemen, as we say goodbye, and I'm sorry about the tech issues, uh, whenever Joe talks about race, he usually puts his foot in his mouth. He usually says something uh, just not right. And I think today was one of those occasions. Uh, take a listen to this, what Joe thinks uh, about lawyers and accountants. Uh, here we go. That, the data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers, they don't have, they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off? Uh, Harrison, I don't know if you caught all of that, but there was something just terribly condescending, in my view, about what he just said. This nation would be better off without him, Greg, I'll tell you that much. And going back to what Bruce just said about the uh, contract in $100 billion over five years, President Trump wanted to give half a trillion to us up front. Not only that, but that $100 billion is going to federal contracting. How many black folks are in federal contracting? I will show, let's see the percentages on that. And also, $10 billion he, he announced for community re revitalization and his infrastructure plan out of the $2 trillion he wanted. Black people, that goes to show Joe Biden thinks you're worth half a percent. You guys are fantastic. I'm sorry about the limited time. Bruce, Harrison, to be continued for sure. Uh, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Okay, uh, well, they're both black. One guy's trying to stab another guy with a knife. Deadly force is completely justified. Uh-huh. I see. So you don't care if a black person kills another black person, but you do care if a white cop kills a black person, even if he's doing it to save the life of another black person? I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but then again, you are really good at basketball, so I guess I'll take your word for it. All right. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks, LeBron. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. What? Nothing. I gotta go. Sorry, guys. You're on your own. Good luck. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> that last part still tickles me every time I hear it. LeBron James. I mean, you nailed it. So what happened? You, got, you lost your job. Is it because right. of this? Did you do anything else, you know, that they didn't like? What's the deal? Well, it's it's a continuation of the LeBron James TikTok and I guess the controversy. 
that stem from that, if you if you want to call it a controversy. Uh, the the reason they gave me on paper when they handed me my notice of termination um, was that uh, I used body camera footage in a different TikTok that I didn't get permission to use. Um, there wasn't a specific policy uh, cited um, that, that they're claiming that I violated. They just simply said that I, I didn't get permission. But I've used body camera footage in, in other TikToks uh, on my account, um, and those they didn't have an issue with those. Uh, so, you know, how was I supposed to... Uh, I guess how was I supposed to be aware that this this particular TikTok was was going to be an issue, and it shouldn't have. It didn't have any. There was no political undertones. There there was no message I was trying to send other than simply humanizing the badge, like I do with every other one of my videos. Uh, the the video that they're talking about was uh, it was body camera footage depicting me giving a subway employee an extra large tip after she had a really bad day. And the purpose behind that video was simply to show that this is how most police interactions go with officers interacting with members of the public, resolving minor disputes, and and, and sometimes these little random acts of kindness that help make a person's day better. Um, but, you know, we, we can't have that. We can't have officers being seen in a positive light. So uh, that was the reason they tell me that I was fired. By the way, the mayor of Bellevue, I want to show you something that he has done and said he's encouraged officers in your department last summer to take a knee. That happened in support of Black Lives Matter. So maybe you can be political as long as those politics are to the left. He put out a statement. He said many things very supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement. He has not been afraid to uh, discuss those issues. So look, let me ask you, um, do you wanna be, I think you have a big future as an influencer potentially or a writer or who knows what, but do you wanna get back into law enforcement and are you appealing this? I'm not a, I'm not appealing the decision uh, for termination. I'm not fighting for my job at this point. Uh, and that's I mean, that's a really good question. I, I do love police work. I love being a police officer. Um, it was it was an important job that I enjoyed doing. Um, but as you mentioned, I think right now I have a future um, as a writer, as an influencer and as an advocate for other uh, for other police officers. And unfortunately, you can't do that and wear the badge at the same time because of policy constraints and and, and elected officials like mayors of Bellevue, Idaho, who simply want to silence you when your political beliefs don't align with their own. So yeah. I think I can make a much bigger difference not being a police officer at this point. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm also kind of excited to hear that. The book is uh, coming out in September, and uh, there it is, Never Off Duty. And, oh, with a cell phone, because you guys are always being documented. They're always trying to catch you. And, well, Nate, I think great yeah. things are to come. And uh, let's stay in touch, okay? Nate Sylvester, we appreciate it very much. We'll be right back. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks Thank for having me. Thanks, pal. That's it. Stand by for Stanchfield, and I'll see you tomorrow.